Welcome to the Gore and More Podcast with your host TJ Bowser, Chad Chrisman, and Big Johnny D. We have such sights to tell you. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Gormore Podcast. This is your host with the most, TJ Bowser, and joining me today is the legendary Mick Strawn. Hey. Oh, brother. Okay. So, um, I, a legend in my own mind. Uh, deserved. <laughs> much deserved legend. That status is much deserved. Uh, well, but before we get into our interview, uh, how was your week? How was my week? My week was great. I, uh, I, I'm still recovering from working on vengeance. Um, I, this, this week, uh, uh, I can feel my legs again. <laughs> was it the goose? It was the goose. <laughs> I, I saw a video of a goose. You see that? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you know what? That goose is never going to, uh, oddly again, ever. <laughs> I silenced that goose boy. <laughs> You know what was really weird about that whole situation is uh, is the number of people that I had sent out to deal with the goose was, <laughs> was hilarious because we what you didn't see is it, you saw me coming from the house that we were filming in right mm-hmm. and 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 I had sent all these people and then I sent out the biggest person that I could that that we had who was uh jason brooks right of course (laughs) and as as i walk outside going i can't believe the keys are driving me nuts right and uh and i look out there and the goose is kicking his ass and i'm going my god something has to give here and so uh i made myself look like a, a 300 pound goose and um i went after him told and gave him what for (laughs) <laughs> and I have to tell you, for a second there, just for a second, I thought that he was going to stand and attack me. And I was going, you know, that isn't wise if you're a goose. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, you know, come on. <laughs> there's, you know, as scary as a goose is, I think that a goose is like 17 pounds, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I was going to win one way or the other. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, that, that uh, yeah taught taught that goose taught that goose a lesson. <clears throat> Excellent. So right before we get the questions, I'll play a message from our sponsors and get right into it. Gormore is brought to you in part by A New Kind of Fear Customs. Friday the 13th inspired custom gaming controllers, hockey masks, action figures, and more. You can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and at anewkindoffear.com. Do you like photography on Friday the 13th? Then check out 13 Gallows Lane. You can find them on Facebook at Gallo Goes to Hell, Twitter and Instagram at 13 Gallows Lane, and on Patreon at Emily Helene. Warning, some content not safe for work. Do you like horror movies collecting in enamel pins? Then check out Creative Terror Pins. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram and at creativeterrorpins.com. First question, Mick. Okay. Uh, What made you want to get into special effects, production design, and props? I want to make a living. Um, here's, here's the funny thing is, uh, so many people around me were really, um, really into, uh, into movies and stuff. And I was kind of, I was into movies. Um, but, uh, I was also, uh, I, I had done a lot of different things. I had worked on mines. I had done a bunch of different construction stuff. Uh, I, and, and yet my mother was an artist. My father was a builder and, and, and those two things came together. Uh, my sister was working in theater in uh, New York. Um, and she, uh, she got a commercial, uh, in like, I think it was 83 or 82, something like that. She got this commercial and she needed somebody to come help run things for her. And, uh, I, I, and the, the thing is, you have to understand about a, a job in the business is, is that you have to, your job is to bring on a bunch of people with you that are, uh, that you're comfortable with, you know, and, um, she didn't know anybody in, in, in the town. Uh, and so she brought me and, and I came on and, um, I just didn't leave. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, 
I, he, I got onto this uh, next door to the stage that we were on was another stage. Mm-hmm. And um, I was literally sleeping on the stage at night. <laughs> Mm. And because uh, I'd driven in from San Bernardino and I'm, I'm sleeping in a VW van, which I owned VW vans for many, 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 many years. And I, I'm sleeping in the VW van. And I, at night, I would go look at what was happening on the stage next door. In the stage next door, they were filming a commercial. A, a commercial. It was a McDonald's commercial. And um, and. The production designer. I was there to see this. The production designer says, "Look, we need this. We need a telescope because this is a professor telescope and the, sees the skies and 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 this is a uh, observatory, right? So they had this round dome that had the, the slot in it so that you could see up into the stars and stuff. And the set dresser brought in a, um, a telescope, but it was like a it was like just a celestial telescope. It was a, a you know short, round, very round." Um, and um, looks at that and he goes, "That's that's not telescope, you know, a, a telescope." And and I just happened to be standing there and I go, "Yeah, you mean a Jules Verne kind of telescope, right? You mean like a big barrel and then another barrel and then another barrel, another barrel and a gear underneath and this, 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 this and 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 it's all brass colored." And, and I just described it with my hands. He says, "Hey, great, uh, can you make something like that?" because <laughs> i said well you know that doesn't exist right <laughs> I said, you know that doesn't exist right and he goes he goes well could you make something like that and i go well when does it film he says well it films in the morning I go, yeah <laughs> and so at that time there was no home depot there was no nothing open like late at night no it's already night and so i went up into the uh air conditioning system of the uh, offices that were in the building, right? And I stole sections out of this, out of that, <laughs> cut pieces of wood. <laughs> what? Literally, what you saw was a, was was an air conditioning duct, and then another air conditioning duct, and then a, a trash can, and then a bucket. Right. And then on the side of the bucket, I, I put a little telescope, you know, I just, uh, I went to like, I, I think there was one in the props from our shoot. Right. And I just glued the, the telescope onto the side of it. Right. You know, and to the side to make this big, huge telescope to do the eyepiece. Right. And, um, and I set it on a tripod, uh, that was, uh, not, but it was a base really. It was just, you know, it was, oh, I remember it was the lid to the trash can that I used in there (laughs) and I cut a big hole, came up with a sauna tube on it and, uh, and, and, and brass and, and, and it became, there was a whole series of commercials made with that telescope. That's awesome. for McDonald's, remember the professor? You see, you may not remember this, but McDonald's used to have like uh, the professor that would talk around and mumble to himself and kind of uh, uh, look like Toby Hooper in a white coat. You know, <laughs> oh, talk like Toby and talk like Toby, Toby Ho- Hooper in a white coat because he'd walk around the stage going <laughs> like that, right? And he didn't actually speak any language, um, <laughs> which must be what scientists sound like yeah. to people at commercials. For McDonald's, right? So anyway, that <laughs> and that was the big launching. I took pictures of that telescope and then um, used those pictures to um, propel myself forward, and then we went from there. Awesome. And, uh, and and I don't know that I ever intended to get in the business. It's just that all the things that I knew how to do in life and the way that I saw things happened to be perfect for the business, right? Yep. So what is your favorite movie you have worked on and why? Um, hmm. I love the one set or, or the uh, I did a couple of sets for uh, Mortal Kombat and I love the way that that came together and and um, the, the way that the whole uh, I mean, basically, basically the set that I the biggest set that I did was because I have to go back. How do you make that sound? Okay. Okay. Now we're back in time. Okay. And 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 I'm getting a phone call, and uh, I, I'm in between I'm in between gigs, and I can't remember what gigs I was in between. But um, uh, mine calls me up, and he says, uh, "Listen, I 
I, I need you to to go to uh, such and such a screening room, and the screening rooms were the labs had these screening rooms, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, and you always see this in, in the picture with the producer and director staring at like dailies or something, going, <laughs> right? So that I'm in one of those screens, and the, and the and he shows me this this movie, and um, and it's Mortal Kombat, and he goes, okay, so why? Why does this movie not not feel right? In my opinion, and of course, the thing is, is I never in my life ever <laughs> said in my opinion. I always said, "Well, that sucks because <laughs> sucks because this sucks because nature of the title of it, you screwed yourself up because you actually kind of duplicated the look of the." Uh, of the video game, right? Mm-hmm. I said, and that doesn't work for it. That doesn't work for a movie because you can't have two characters having a fight and not include the entire background in it. So what they did is they basically had a film where it was it was two characters face off um, in in these really and some of the characters were pretty amazing and all, but they were just kind of fighting in the middle of these wild locations right and there was no interaction between the locations and and the people you know if you looked at like that uh, a film recognized being old people and be having arcanes and stuff <laughs> uh, I, I was saying like robin hood from the 1930s right you, okay if you if you thought of that film i said what is it that you remember about the film robin hood and he goes uh Let's see. There was this fight, and they're going up the stairs, and he swings across on a chandelier, and and I go, yeah, exactly. Or a guy swings onto a tree and jumps down on the people. Right. I said, exactly. That's what you have to do. You have to, you have to use these exotic locations in with the film. So solutions that we had is is we created. We we eliminated the scorpion fight that that was, which was in a grove of trees somewhere, which was just oh god, it was so boring that um, you know it 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 would it would literally take a, a devil to uh, wake you up in the middle of it, and and I and what we did is we we literally made that whole. <laughs> I mean, have you ever wondered where that came from, right? Yeah, I mean, they're in the middle of a grove of trees, right? (laughs) Come on, come on, think about this. They're in the middle of a grove of trees, and all of a sudden, an electronic pussy opens up in the middle of the screen. (laughs) And, right? Yes. (laughs) That's pretty accurate, don't you? That is extremely accurate. (laughs) (laughs) So they jump through. And they wind up in this weird altar, this weird world that doesn't look anything like a drove of trees. It just, it doesn't make any sense, but it's one of the coolest uh, sequences in the film, right? Yeah. Okay. See, this is, this is I, uh, if you don't talk back to me every once in a while, I think I'm alone, you know, saying like electric pussy. Right? <laughs> I'm just too busy you know, laughing. That's, that, that's better. So, so anyway, so now, now we're in this enormous. And what I did was, is I said, let's do this. If a fight, get me into the biggest area you possibly can imagine. We're gonna black it all out. Um, I showed him a couple of pictures that I torn out of a National Geographic. I'm gonna do this kind of thing here. <laughs> I said, I did this kind of thing, and I'm gonna lay it. And what we're going to do is we're going to put layers deal structure that I can hide with this stuff here, right? And and we're going to put it all up, and then we're going to do these ladders and these. Uh, it's it, I, I think I think I took the concept off of a, a, a island tribe that used a cliffside to bury their elders, right? Oh, that's cool. And they, and they climbed up these ladders to bury their elders on. So I was like, oh well, great. So that's why you had these bodies on the bamboo and, and I mean everything was going against us I literally we we built hangar which was in Van Nuys 
And it, it it's 100 feet tall. It's 100 feet wide, 130 feet wide and 100, God knows how deep. And um, we blacked it all out. Okay. And then um, we got eight condors. Uh, you know what condor is? It's a, it's a, it's a basket list, right? Oh, okay. You know? Yes. And, and we put them all the way up and we, and <laughs> we found a um, ship that was moving into the LA Harbor. Um, and we negotiated with them to buy half of the, half of their, uh, you know, the half of their cargo, a bunch of trucks and started to just re- literally just ship truck it right off the boat, <laughs> right <laughs> off the boat, right to the set, right off the boat, right to the set. We had guys sorting it and then we sorted it into the small pieces and the bigger pieces. And we put the small pieces up high and we started to zip tie them all together. And we would zip tie them together. And we would make, you know, one big area and then we'd cobweb that. And then we'd put these bodies <laughs> and the bodies, which were one of my favorite things to use uh, in my years in the business is if I needed a dummy uh, and I could like halfway disguise it, I would just go and pay $30 and buy, a, uh, you know, go to an X-rated store and buy a bunch of plastic dummies. You know, and <laughs> you know the kind I mean, right? They yeah. have orifices everywhere. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and and you know what? If you pay, and the thing is, that we would buy them out every time, and we invariably we would wind up with you know the forty dollar models that you know <laughs> had orifices under the arms and in separate places, and yeah. Anyway, um, so. Uh, then we would wrap them right there, wrapped up in bandages <laughs> and and put all over it. And, and that set. But but the thing is, is we knew exactly what the fight was going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I designed that trip where the, you know, the bamboo pole falls over, which, of course, steel. It looks like bamboo. And and. Um, and we had the whole the whole thing completely choreographed before we even did the, the dressing and the finishing of the set, you know. And um, I think after like six weeks, uh, we had that sequence. And I I have always been really proud of it because there's there's no optical in there except for the awful awful uh, blade cutting the uh, head in the end, <laughs> which is which is so bad after that great sequence that it actually is funny as hell. Oh, so to answer the question, Mortal Kombat was your favorite movie you worked on? Favorite set. I mean, my favorite movie to work on probably was Nightmare on Street 4 for the whole movie. But that that one set was amazing. Okay. Uh, What is the most difficult effect or set you've ever done? Oh, the most difficult? Yes. Wow. Uh, The junkyard was a lot of work. Um, probably the, the, the junkyard set by itself was, was a complicated, 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 uh, thing. I mean, you know, the thing is, is, uh, I've, I've, I've had so many just, just really complicated things that you eventually just break down into, you know, uh, the series of, uh, doable, items mm-hmm. so uh so it, it's hard to say you know what's the hardest because it's it's not like uh you, you know when you're doing practical effects you, you, your chances when you're doing effects you you, you reduce your chances of being a hero by at least 20 <laughs> percent <laughs> because there's a chance that it just won't work <laughs> yeah yeah, see that that's that's the thing is is uh, Peter Chesney and I used to joke about this. Peter Chesney being a, a, a and uh, effects guy, uh, mechanical effects guy that I used to run his his shop for him. Um, and uh, you know, uh, between being a production designer and and being an effects uh, designer is that. Uh, you're at a hundred percent and we're at 80 at best. That's <laughs> <laughs> <is> very true. <laughs> so what do you find? To be more challenging? I, don't even know, I don't even remember what the question was. Wow. 
What is the most difficult effect or set you've done? Did I avoid it uh, strategically? <laughs> I think you just found it hard to determine which which one it was. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's a good answer. Hey, I like that. Good, good answer. What do you find <laughs> to be more challenging, production design or special effects? Ooh. Um... Just such different things. You know, uh, production design thing, and so it, it tends to be uh, more uh, – it, it involves uh, politics as, as well as art, as well as uh, uh, logistics and so forth. And special effects is is you on the set uh, or not. <laughs> you know, an awful lot of what's required in this business is just to go outside and and, and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you do you if you're doing it right. See what I'm saying? Yes. yes. The thing is, is it's like the, it's like all the competition that we had with each other in, in the uh, in the 80s. Um, we, you know, it. If you knew exactly how it was going to come out, um, already been done, and you would have veered away from it like it was poison. <laughs> a perfect example of that would be like Nightmare on Elm Street 4. When we <laughs> we were sitting in a meeting, we'd had this meeting like three or four times, and it, we were stuck in a dream loop, you know, as happens to people. So we're stuck in this dream loop, and we're, we're, we're having a meeting about um, how we're going to get out of it, uh, and all the all the heavies are there, and you know uh, I'm there. Uh, uh, Bob Shea, Rachel Towley, Rennie Harlan, uh, mechanical effects people. You know everybody's sitting around this table. Uh, makeup effects people, and and we're. This is this is like the third meeting that we'd had about this, and and I sort of got we were in the second hour of of the third meeting, and we were like, we were on a stupid you wouldn't believe we had uh, Freddie in an airplane. Uh, he was the cockpit. He was in the cockpit, and we're we're argu- literally we're having an argument as to who Freddie is now. Freddie is either the co-pilot or or the stewardess your head in the window and I went wow or in the door and I was like sitting there I was like you know like that thing where you're just rubbing your head going wow I have so many other things to do and this is just an exercise in stupidity and then I said out loud I said you know I wish we'd just and and it all came down to the truck right because we're in the truck right and I said oh I just I honest to God I just wish we'd hit nothing <laughs> and there was this kid sitting on the outside of it and he goes, Oh, what that look like? And the funny thing is I was just thinking that to myself. I was like, what the hell would that look like? And then I started to describe it and and I started to describe it just from the point of view of me sitting in and everybody had gotten really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and went, what would it look like? Um it would look like it would look like you hit your own bumper. Like your bumper stopped and you hit it um imagine that your bumper was cabled with a one inch cable right back to like an immovable object like a huge tractor just sitting there and you put a camera right at that point ah and then you ran and then you ran the vehicle to the end of that cable i said and here's here's where I'm going with all this is that what would it look like? <laughs> because because Peter Chesney immediately went, well, I can do that. <laughs> and I went, OK, well, and everybody said, OK, we're done. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. And we went out and, you know, probably three weeks later, we did it. And and it was hilarious. I was jumping around like a lunatic when when uh when I saw it, it happened and, and it worked, you know, um, but, but I ha- honestly have to tell you, we had no idea what it was going to look like, really. You know, it's um, those things. It's a great idea. And it certainly has been used many times since, but that was the first. And um, it was pretty hilarious. But the thing that was amazing was that everybody had bets on what was going to happen to the bike in back of the truck. 
Oh. If you look at the footage of it, I mean, I my guess was that it was just going to go here. It was just going to go over. It was going to break the straps and just go over the truck and, and keep going. And uh, absolutely nobody guessed what happened, which was it, it actually stopped. It slammed forward and went to the bottom of its uh, shocks and and then just flipped <laughs> and landed right back where it was, <laughs> which was uh, just absolutely weird of the dice. But um, anyway, that, that gives you an anxiety. So we didn't know what that was going to look like. So that thing. Uh, that kind of segues into the next question, which is, uh, what was it like working on the Nightmare on Elm Street series and films? Um, it was l- like uh, not sleeping <laughs> and then not sleeping again. Um, it was like um, there are a million things going on and uh, and being as involved in the effects and the design was uh each one had their own characteristics uh nightmare on Elm street three was was just like one running argument with bob shea because we were spending money and and he kept reminding me that it was his money (laughs) (laughs) uh to which the only answer was at the time well it's my sleep it's not it's my sleep i'm spending not yours (laughs) very true so I mean, um, you know, on Nightmare on Elm Street 3, we, in a, uh, what was it? It was a, uh, a door to nowhere that became first perspective steel staircase. And we, and that thing was only, um, 27 feet tall from the top to the bottom. And yet it looked like it was, you know, several stories to hell. Right. And the thing is, is, is we spent a lot of time and money on that thing. And I, I, I couldn't until the moment that we actually shot the thing was that you could understand what it was. Oh. <laughs> so that that's. Then you're ready to ask me another question. Yes. Uh, self out. No, I mean, literally just knock yourself out. Did you get design Mark Wahlberg's penis for boogie nights? No. <laughs> okay, I can tell you. I, I'm going to start with uh, this quick story of of Boogie Nights, right? Okay. So uh, I'm working with Luke Carlucci, Luke Carlucci, um, running his shop, and uh, and we get a call in, and uh, uh, just as I walk into the office reception, this goes here. Here's the script. You got to get going. You're already late for the meeting. Uh, it's all, all the way across town. I'm like, oh god. And um, so I grab the script, script, haven't read it, just out the door. Wind up in the offices of Boogie Nights, probably five minutes into the table read. And uh, basically, the table read is uh, where all the department heads um, sit around a table and and you read through the script one page at a time, asking a million questions or answering or having side meetings, you know, those, those are the answers that you get. Right. And, um, and so I walk in and one of the tricks is, is if you, if, if you walk into a meeting, there's always people walking into the meeting raw, right? Because yeah. they, they just got hired or something like that. And so there's, there's a procedure that you do for that is you grab another script and you set one script down in front of you and you follow along while you hold the one that you brought underneath the table and you get it like three or four pages ahead. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is really common. Right. <laughs> and so I'm reading along. And, blah, 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 I'm fear. And, um, and I read, uh, and he drops his pants and, and, <laughs> Grabs his enormous penis, and and I'm not kidding. I'm looking. I'm looking down, up, and I look straight ahead. And the prop master is sitting at the table on the other side, right? And he's looking me right in the eye, and he goes, "Yeah, right." He says, "And this is it." He reaches down. And he's got a paper bag, literally a paper bag, and he slaps the paper bag down in front of him, and he goes, "Yeah." This right here, and he reaches in and he pulls the paper bag off. 
and there's this enormous penis, and everybody's just like. <laughs> And I had so many questions. I bet. I like. <laughs> wait, wait, and all I could think of is these sent me out on a porno. <laughs> what the? What the hell is going on here? <laughs> so anyway, it's on this film. So cut to and and by the way, this is going to be one of the very rare times that I've actually uh, told this story. So. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much. This this is this is it's an amazing story. So, um, so then I wind up, you know, I read through the script and I go, "Wow, this is a." I said, "There's there's a, a place here where we're going to have to shoot." Um, where there's this one long scene, I said, and it's through a party and Bill Macy gets out of this car and he walks to the party and, and there's a flash, you know, with a camera and, and, you know, they take a drink off of the tray and, and they do like 20 different things. And then they come in this room and there's these two people just screwing like hell, porn stars <laughs> right there. And then he walks back and he shoots himself. The whole scene is in one shot. And I go, and, 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 and so we sit, Lou Carlucci and I sit down, we figure out you know, how we're going to do it. There's this thing called staring gun, which is basically, it's, it's like a, a compressed air pea shooter, right? Okay. And, and you make these little balls that have blood in them that are wax it's called staring is the wax because it's super super weak wax right okay. and so you shoot you you shoot one hit and this is the way that they do things like um it, it's it's bare skin where you can't put a you can't put a bullet hit right it is a thing that that that's a little pad and it's it's underneath clothes right so it's more difficult when you've got a naked person in front of you because you have to Put you have to make it look like you shot like somebody shot them, but you don't have anything to cover it up with. <laughs> so, so we sit. So here's what happens: is we make this a laundry room. This a little teeny, 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 tiny room, and you know it's like maybe it's five feet deep and maybe seven feet wide, right? And and the uh, the door is on the long wall right at this this corner right and so the, here's the washer and the dryer and needed to make three shots and the thing is is we have three guns but you can only do one shot at a time so we're sitting one two three on the floor right our asses on the floor and we're down here like this and we're looking up and here and and, and when i get there i'm like okay so this is it i'm going to sit here i'm going to sit here with <laughs> With another guy whose name was Ron Myers, and we're going to sit here, and we are going to wait until they get to that door while these two are butt naked in front of us. <laughs> but, not, but not only that, not just butt naked. This guy is hung. He he is like hung like a building. I mean. It, it's like he's it's like he's got a building with two enormous tanks on, on each side of it, right? And they're and they they both have like bottles of lube and they're like lubing themselves and they keep you know, just, just to keep in practice, they just keep screwing in front of us, right? And we sat there for sixteen hours. Jesus Christ. In sixteen hours. Six hours and they didn't they only came through the they came through the thing is Bill Macy comes through the door once and then he goes out and then he gets his gun and then he comes back right mm -hmm. when he comes back is when he shoots and they God, man I'm not kidding it took them 12 hours to get through the door once oh my right? to get, like after 13 hours, then they come through again the second time, the, the second time where we're supposed to do our sh shots. And of course, one of the guns malfunctions, right? Oh. And, and, when, and when those guns malfunction, they just literally blow blood 
around the whole room. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened. And then we had to clean up all the blood. And then, and then we, after 16 hours, we got the final shot. Here's the thing that I found out later that I didn't know is that probably after maybe 10 hours, the camera actually stopped going to the end of the hallway. They never saw us or, or they never even saw them got, get shot. It, it, they just go down the hall, right? Mm-hmm. So it was completely wasted. And you would have never thought that that was a true story, except for about a year and a half ago, a guy called me and he's writing a book about boogie nights. Now, I really have to wonder why in the world anybody would make a book about <laughs> boogie nights. But OK, you know, <laughs> whatever you're into. Right. But he he actually gets this story from me and he goes. <laughs> I go, absolutely. I I guarantee. Thing is, is one of the people that's in the room um, has died since. And, and another person, uh, uh, Lou Carlucci never answers any questions about things. And so literally it was me that was talking about it. And he, and so he takes that story and he goes and he finds the woman that was there. And she says, yeah, that's absolutely true. That is absolutely the way that it happened. (laughs) The girl that had to sit there covered in lube for 16 hours. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you'd forget that. I, I, uh, let me tell you something. It was, I I don't know quite how to describe the the list of uh of kind of I don't want to say emotions but like um states that you go through when when that when that's going on. I mean, at first you're a little bit titillated but you don't care and then and then it goes the other way. And then it's like, you know what? I would just about rather uh, that I was uh in a cow patty in the middle of a pasture <laughs> because it just gets weird. <laughs> How can I describe that? You know, I was probably impotent for a couple of months at least. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. Uh, the next, uh, yeah, the, you're welcome. Anytime <laughs> you got the chance to design the sets for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre three and work alongside Greg Vitero, what was the experience like? I've I've worked with Greg several times. I mean, you know, Greg, Greg, Greg uh, I, I'll tell you exactly. Uh, let me describe to you exactly uh, my interaction on that film, which was a. Uh, which is pretty funny. Uh, there, it just as an addendum to that, <laughs> there was there was a a, a point where um, a, a, a a tree, like they chainsaw, the chainsaw comes through a tree, mm-hmm. right? And the girl is 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 it's like it goes through the girl and then supposedly comes out through the tree, right? And uh, and. Of course, that was a, it. Was mechanical. It was kind of a cross between a mechanical effect and a, and a makeup effect. But they had this arm. Oh God! <laughs> you were supposed to see these arms, right? You know, you know, as you hear the chainsaw and you see blood splattering, but you're on the other side of the tree, and then the, you know, you see the arms and you see uh, a tree trunk, and then the saw comes through the tree, right? Yes. One of the one of the uh, arms kept getting a hitch in it. <laughs> it would start to like do this thing where the uh, the top part of the arm would go straight up, and like the <laughs> the uh, and then you would just see the uh, the bottom part of it just kind of like waving, you know, sort of like a train signal, you know. <laughs> and so, well, just just that have happening, and everybody having seen it in dailies. You know, it became the way that you greeted people on the set. <laughs> You'd put your arm up like like this, and then you just let your hand swing. <laughs> That's awesome. It's totally and completely an in joke on people with people that have worked on that film, and uh, I don't think that Greg Nick Taro really thought that that was. Uh, if you see what I'm saying, yes, yes, Uh what are some special effects that you did for the Blade? What are some special effects that you did with the Blade franchise? Uh, the 
my my big thing with because I I didn't work all the way through the the, the French uh, through Blade um, because the director was um, complete and unbelievable dick. He actually got beat up twice by different members <laughs> of the camera crew. <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> what the fuck happened to you? <laughs> Awesome. You know, I literally, I just like, you know, halfway through, I was like, you know, there's, I want to live. This is, this is like different because it, it, it we turned on each other. You know, it, the director was a complete un, unabridged. He was Satan, you know, and after a while it got to the point to where, you know, he started to turn people against one, one another and you'd see somebody getting chewed out on the set and all you could think of. I, and I, I'm really honest about this. All you think of was, my God, I'm just glad that wasn't me. It's, it's, it's like your humanity broke down. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I did do the uh, blood coming from the ceiling. And uh, yes. it, it, in the process, it, in the process, almost drowned my uh, uh, my daughter. Oh, no. Um, she got in between a couple of really tall guys in there. Uh, and, uh, and literally... If it, the blood was, I mean, we, we had 25, 3000 gallons of blood and, wow. and we were pumping it. We were pumping it at rates. You just would not believe. And, uh, those weren't rain heads. Those were dough heads. Rain head maybe has a half an inch, uh, to let uh, water through dough head is like an inch mm-hmm. big. So they didn't really look exactly like those, like the ceiling devices, uh, that everybody's familiar with. And man, they threw a lot of water or a lot of, uh, blood as it were. Yes. And it was pretty thick and it, and it filled up between a couple of taller people and she couldn't, and she almost drowned. Wow. It was, um, you know, so that would have been a, a real honor to have, uh, managed to have worked with, with the devil and then drown my own daughter in my own gag. That's crazy though. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good time had by all. Um, had by all. So how did you get oh. involved in Friday the 13th Vengeance? Well, about a year ago, and actually I can say about a year ago and two weeks, year two weeks ago, um, uh, a film called Imagine at, at Crypticon. And I was guest. I, I was a honored guest at Crypticon. I love Crypticon. As you should be. As, uh, as I should. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I, uh, I happened to be looking at some of the films that were there. And uh, one of them was Imagine. And it was uh, done by uh, Jeremy Brown. Uh, <laughs> he had also done another film. And I, to the party, uh, one of the parties upstairs, and uh, sat down at the table. And Jeremy was there. And I said, oh, yeah, I really liked your film. And he says, you're a mixed shot, aren't you? And, you know, all that bullshit. and, and uh, they're off. Uh, and it's really funny because that night he, I, and Mike Mead, who wound up writing it, um, all happened to be sitting on the same sofa at the same time. <laughs> oh, okay. And, uh, and, uh, you know, all became friends. And then he invited me and then he invited me out to see, uh, to see the filming of, um, uh, Whatever vengeance was called, uh, mythos. And unfortunately, he literally on his way to like. Then he he asked me. He says, "Well, what do you think?" And I told him, and um, went away. And he called me up, me up, and he says, "Hey, uh, I'm reworking this whole thing. Uh, I wanted." To, take some of your advice and uh and uh would you come in and uh and uh and there was a case where i had you know done a uh i had worked on one of the trade so i worked on that trailer with mythos and then i worked on the first one with vengeance when they had another first ad and and i eventually took over the role uh, of ad from that guy and uh and stuck around awesome and uh i had a lot of input on that film and it was uh a lot of fun what was your experience on the set what was my experience on the set yes i was most 
I was, uh, I got to build this, this great camp for it and, uh, and then worry, uh, down to the last minute of when the snow was going to clear out and then spent, you know, these incredibly long rainy nights <laughs> hoping that the rain would go away and then the rain would go away. And all of a sudden we'd, we'd have like four hours of the, I mean, literally some of the best shots that I'd done in my life, uh, or that I'd seen in my life virtually. I mean, you know, just everything pulled together for four hours and then it rained for the rest of the night, you know? Uh, and in between all those rains, we actually got a great, I think that we have a great film. I really do. I'm pretty optimistic about it, and I really can't wait to see the film as a whole. Uh, well, I, I've seen some of the some of the segments and, and, and bits and pieces, and I just couldn't. You know how uh, I've been on films a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've certainly seen a lot of things uh, uh, shooting, and and very rarely have I had as many times that I looked and went, "Oh my, credible." Mm-hmm. And we just kept doing it again and again and again. And so uh, I'm thinking that we really have a, a, an amazing thing here. I, I, I mean, I've always I've always thought to myself, you know, what, what would it be like to shoot without constraints of labor costs? And uh, what would it like to be do with a volunteer crew and, and with amazing equipment? I mean, today's equipment is just... <sighs> incredible mm-hmm. i mean you know the, thing, the things that we can do with you know not a huge amount of money is it, just astounding and uh and i think that all my suspicions were confirmed uh you can still do you can do a great job so you we talked a little bit about this before show you worked on the unreleased uh roger corman uh fantastic four film you made the miniatures I for it did what happened there, and where are those miniatures now? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> you see, you have to understand. Now, and here's the thing that you that that people don't understand about what it's like to work in, or what it was like to work in. Um, at the end of the day, all you wanted to be was rid of this stuff <laughs> because <laughs> because it costs a lot of money to store things in LA and part of your job is to make it go away as much as it is to make it all happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, so few things survive from uh, it's expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, even taking pictures of things is a, is a very haphazard thing compared to like anything that happens today. I mean, there's, there's thousands of pictures, uh, you know, of us shooting on vengeance and, Back in the day, you know, I mean, you know, you, you look at like a few films from Nightmare on Street four or three or something like that. That's it. Like, look, look at how few, you know, shots survive from uh, from Fantastic Four. I mean, it's it's just amazing. But uh, but done with it. It was it was done. You were on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you you maybe you took a lot of those sets and you just reworked them and worked them into your next film. Um, that, that happened all the time. I mean, you know, the same flats were reconfigured and, and away you go. That's, uh, that was just the nature of the, I mean, special effects. Uh, I, I've heard that that freaking leprechaun costume, you know, was, <laughs> was the troll <laughs> in troll. Yeah. The leprechaun costume in the leprechaun was the troll and troll. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it was. <laughs> You didn't save it. You tried to make your money back on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, as far as uh, any of that stuff existing, no, it really doesn't. Uh, uh, it's just in our memories. And the thing is, is, I'm afraid that I'm trying to do my best to get out all the stories that I can from the nightmares because from the two nightmares that I did, because the stories that are out there now um, are kind of the pat um, – uh, you know, stories that the stars and the director, uh, oh, which are not the really interesting stories. If you look at my book, uh, Behind the Screams, uh, which you can get at behindthescreamsbook.com, um, <laughs> it tells the rest of the story. You know, so it's like some of the, 
I'll give you a, a great example. Uh, uh, just from uh, Fantastic Four, Beans is wearing that one. Uh, if you remember the spin-ins, remember the uh, newspaper spinning in? Yes. Right? Okay. That's that's a really old effect. But let me how you tell you how it's done and then tell you a story about it. The way that they do it is is you find your final position of how you want the paper uh, to, to land, right? Mm-hmm. And then you then you spin it in reverse, and basically it's it's like literally a newspaper on a piece of board that's attached to a stick. Ah, and then you just put it on a drill motor, you know, with two uh, hole and a piece of black dubatine, right, for the black background, mm-hmm. and you just spin it, and then you right and. Ta-da! But you use <laughs> you film it backwards by using this thing called a reverse mag. Okay. A reverse mag was what they used at the time to uh, shots. Uh, reverse shots were just a really a standard of the film industry at the time. Uh, you know, if you had to hit somebody in the head with a hatchet, you glued the hatchet onto their head and then you pulled it backwards, right? That's kind of like a standard and you filmed it so that it would look like the hatchet came in and hit them in the head right yes uh easy to understand well here's the thing so we're in the meeting and i'm directing the second unit and i'm saying okay well here's what we need we need to get a reverse mag and do this newspaper shot and the dp at the time goes we can't do that we don't have a reverse mag and I replied, that's not a problem. We can turn the camera upside down. <laughs> okay. Looked at me and he goes, that wouldn't work. That work. And I go, well, it's because, oh, just, just trust me. You just turn the, it'll work great. And so he wouldn't believe me. And he finally decides in the end that, uh, it's just not work, and he took it off the schedule. Aww. So, so then in the morning, I I had to go over and I go. I'm the director. I said I'm the director. It's going to work. Um, and and what I did is I stopped in the editing bay and I grabbed a three foot. And by the way, Roger Corman's was the cheapest place to work in the world. I mean, yeah. they didn't have a reverse mag. They they only used their own cameras. They didn't let you bring anything in. That was it. You had to use what was there, right? So uh, he goes, no, we don't have a – we can't do this again. And so we ended the argument. He's going to take it off the schedule. I said, well, okay, but if I can prove to you that it'll work, you'll put it back on the schedule, right? And he goes, yeah. And so I go in to the editing bay, he, and I grab a piece of 30 – this is in the morning sometime. And I grabbed a piece of a 35 millimeter. I said, give me a piece of a scene, three feet long. I just need film that looks like a, a scene uh, about three feet. She goes – there was a woman. She goes, great. Here, knock yourself out. And instead of that, I just took the film, and I walked out. And so I, <laughs> I went out, and I went up to the DP, and I said, look. And waved the film around. I went, Phew! you know, like like I was zipping it past my eyes. I go, yeah. this is it forward. And then I turned the film around, and this is it when we play it back. See? And then I handed in the film. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, you hesitated, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you went. Had to think about went, it. Oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Here's the thing that doesn't show you anything. <laughs> there's, there's no, there is no world in which that would mean anything, right? Okay. But then I had it in the film. <laughs> I said, "Well, see, put it up and try it for yourself." And so he waves it in front of his eyes a couple of times, and he, and he looks me right in the eye and goes, "You're right. It does work." <laughs> and I said, "See, I told you. Let's put it back on the schedule." So it went back on the schedule. That. Just that evening, my art director comes up to me. <laughs> he sits down and he goes, you know, because I, I almost, I'm 100% sure that you're behind this, but is there a reason that everybody is out here uh, 
with a three foot piece of film and waving it in front of their faces <laughs> and nodding at each other. I go, Tom, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know that you've got something to do with this. It just looks like something you would have something to do with. Wow, Tom, you know, you really don't have much respect for me, do you? He goes, no, no, I totally do. (laughs) So there you go. Excellent. So uh, this is a little bit less about movies, more about you. Uh, Since your unofficial retirement in 2008 you've started building bass guitars electric guitars amps and other instruments uh what made you choose to start doing that i don't know i i love designing things i had a lot of time on my hands um uh i love to pay i love to play bass and i wanted to make myself a bass and <laughs> and I had this guy goes, so you're going to make a base, huh? It's going to be like, it's going to be one of those ones, like you just take a piece of uh wallet and you make, cut it like a base and, 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 and that's, that's it. And I went, well, I don't know. It's, that's not the way that I see things. And he goes, oh yeah. And, and <laughs> I invited him over to take a look at it. And he did. And he went, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> He goes, I was going to make my own base, but he says, I quit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame him. Uh, You sent me some pictures of something that you've worked on, and it looks absolutely incredible. Yeah, that's my base. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I I love my base. You talked about your book earlier. Now now talk about your podcast. Oh, my podcast. You know, I have a friend, uh, uh, Kurt Thomas, and uh, he knows things. Uh, I know nothing. And I go over and uh, we put together a podcast when we were uh, we were driving home from a film one time. And and we just kind of noticed that uh, what would happen is we would we would talk, we talked about the film for a little bit. And then I started to tell a story about that. Ah. And that's what happens, you know, is it jogs a memory. And, it, and, and so the the best episodes of it are uh, episodes that. You know, he jogs a memory and I uh, tell, you know, stories of the good old days. And, you know, I get out my cane in my walker and and, uh, tell stories about 35, 40 years ago. And uh, and it's been a blast. I, uh, you know, I uh, to because, you know, let's face it. You and I are both hearing this for the first time. I don't run this stuff through my head first. I, I've never been that kind of person. I always start my sentences having no idea where they're going to end. <laughs> yes, yes. And and so you know, uh, doing that, I, I like to listen to them just as much as anybody else does. I go, well, that son of a gun's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you would really love it. Uh, Dream Warrior review, and um, where can we find it? Find it all the regular places, you know, Apple and Bean and, uh, you know, you know, it's, I think it even gets released on YouTube. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, Kurt knows how to do that sort of thing. And Kurt, uh, uh, you know, let's, I'll, I'll put it the way that my, uh, granddaughter does. Um, my granddaughter, Neve, um, who's 11 going on uh, late twenties, uh, <laughs> says, uh, it really works because, uh, Kurt is uh, has a very good voice. Uh, he knows how to speak on the radio. He does all all of uh, his homework. Uh, he will have, have seen the film and all the films in the background and and everything that be related to it. And and then there's you. And then there's you. <laughs> <I> go, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you, you know, this thing is is. I, we're strong and, and, and the ability to insult one another is, is, um, is sort of, uh, it's genetic. It's entirely genetic. So awesome. <sighs> Thank you for coming on the Gore and More podcast, Mick. Oh, you're welcome. By the way, you're going to be talking to Jason Brooks, right? Uh, I have talked to Jason Brooks. I think I interviewed, he was like my third interview ever. Oh, really? Yes. Jason, Jason is such a great guy. Jason and Jeremy are both both great people but uh jason has a holds a a spot in my heart yeah very very nice guys uh i got to talk to jeremy a little bit here and there and jason i talk to him quite frequently actually Uh, i'm a big uh supporter of vengeance and uh his acting career and i i just can't wait to see where this uh film takes them 
in vengeance is going to surprise you. I mean, so much of it was done right. I, I did everything that I could to bring, you know, uh, any film that I work on, I, I want to bring a professionalism. The thing is, is I, I think that a lot of the guys today, there's so many, I want to say amateurs, uh, because it, it, it sounds derogatory, but mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's so much more equipment in the hands of people that are, are trying so hard to bring something new. And, uh, the thing is, is the, the history of how you actually, uh, of, of that 90 years of, uh, production experience, uh, has never filtered down. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Uh, so I like to bring a lot of that, uh, how to shoot the mechanics, the mechanics of it and, and stuff and, and what it is you're looking for and, and trying to demystify the process, uh, so that, uh, you know, people can take some, can take something from, uh, you know, I mean, we made films for, you know, a hundred years, uh, up the same way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, literally somebody could have walked out of a, a soundstage in 1934 and, and then walked in and done a day of work in 1988 without any problem. Mm-hmm. Been essentially the same stuff, you know, just slightly, slightly more advanced, but more refined than anything else. And then the nineties and the, in the year 2000 came in, it just wipe the slate clean, you know, and, but it isn't all starting over again. It's, you know, you should be able to go back and, and use an awful lot of the same uh, tricks and the same, you know, uh, overall uh, and understand, you know, filmmaking. Uh, I think that, it, I, I think that us, you know, old cripples uh, uh, <laughs> are bring something uh, uh, good to the process. Excellent. Uh Tell people where they can find you on social media. You can find me at uh, Mick Strawn, uh, uh, Mick Strawn in Facebook. And of course, uh, I have a uh, Twitter feed that I never look at. And I have a um, uh, Instagram feed that I really can't look at. Although I know that my stuff feeds over there. Um, I'm just not that good at those. And um yeah, yeah, I'm around somewhere. You just look at me, you'll find me. <laughs> well, once again, thank you for coming on. And uh, until next time, that's TJ Bowser signing off. Hey, man, you've been great. Bye. Getting ready for bed at a regular time is one of the most important habits you can learn. David has probably never stopped to think what a wonderful thing sleep is. Dreams are normal, too. Going to bed at a regular time each night.